0: Welcome to a podcast of the Knox County Public Library in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hi, everybody. I think we saw, I'm Mary Palm from Knox County Public Library, and I think I saw most of you last week. And um, if you were here last week, you know what a fascinating um, presentation Patrick gave us, and um, just Want lot more. Um, really excited about this week and the next two weeks coming up. So share this with your friends, because I think it's a really important and interesting topic. And we are so pleased that we have Patrick in our
1: community and is willing and able to come out and do these presentations with us. So
0: Patrick, Hunt, take it away. Thank you, Mary Palm. And thank you for being here today, especially those of you who were here last week and you're back. Uh, Last week and this week are really foundational discussions. And I think next week and May 25th, uh, both again, Thursdays at noon, uh, we will get into the real meat uh, of the subject matter when we talk about all sorts of issues related to AI in the um, third week, like uh, ethics, uh, like responsible AI, like legal and regulatory environments and things of that nature, accuracy, for example. Um, And then the fourth week, we're gonna really look to the future and we might start talking about, as we discussed last week, some of the scary stuff. Um, But for today, we're actually gonna focus on what's happening around us in our community. So what's happening in the East Tennessee region, what kind of companies, organizations, and institutions are doing work in the AI space, and there are some interesting ones, I think. Um, and then we're gonna talk about some of the AI technologies that impact us in our lives every day today, right? So we are gonna talk about that that future uh, in a couple of weeks, but I wanna focus on some things that we may not think about as being artificial intelligence today, uh, but are and that we many of us use all day, every day. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Uh, In fact, we'll do demos of ChatGPT and DALI in generative AI uh, to close the session out. So if you haven't used them yet, stay for the entire session today. Um, I think it will be a really fascinating example of what's happening in the space of AI. Um, So um, I'm gonna do some of the same housekeeping I did last week. I'll make it quick since uh, some of you are here from last week. Uh, Then we'll talk about what's happening around us in this region. and again talk about the technologies that are in use today that are probably impacting our lives whether we know it or not. Uh, and then we'll finally open it up for q and I'll try to leave a little bit more breathing room for questions and answers than I did last week because there were so many good questions and several of you actually stayed afterward to continue the discussion. Um, so for housekeeping purposes, who am I? Uh, Patrick Hunt, I'm the chief evangelist um, at a company called Lirio. Uh, in short, that means marketing and PR. Um, but uh, I like to say I preach the gospel of Lirio to the great unwashed masses. Um, Lirio is actually an AI company, so we're in the healthcare space. We hyper-personalize digital communications to get people to take action for better health when they otherwise would not do so. And I just said that about as perfectly as I ever said it, so I earned my title as Chief Evangelist just now. Um, so we're Knoxville-based. Um, we also have an office in Nashville, and we have remote employees around the country. Um, we work with Covenant Health locally, uh, but we also have uh, uh, clients that are based in on the West Coast, in the Northeast, in the Midwest, all over the country, um, and we're a, a pretty fast-growing AI startup. For a few years, we were the most funded AI startup in. Tennessee. There's a company out of Nashville whose name I can't remember is, is now surpassed that. Um, but I work with a lot of really smart AI scientists, PhDs in computer science, mathematics, machine learning, um, and and I get to come out here and tell you about all the wonderful things that they're doing. Um, and that provides the context for why I'm here today. Question, Art?
1: Um, yeah, I recently had a stroke and had to deal with Covenant Health. Are you you're the company behind their um, telephone?
0: No. Robots or no. chatbots? To, today, we're currently only. <laughs> today, we're only currently working with uh, Covenant Health on engaging uh, women who are clinically recommended for mammograms who are overdue for those mammograms, um, and we've had a lot of success in that space around the country. Um, and so, we've just started working with Covenant this year on that. So, but good, good question. Thank you for allowing me to clarify that. As I mentioned, I work with a lot of really smart people, a lot of scientists, I am not one of those. Um, So this talk and the two that we have in the future will be very general interest. Uh, We are not gonna go deep in the technical side of things and there's a really good chance I might uh, say some things that are incorrect from a technical perspective. So please keep that in mind. Um, I will tell you that I actually had a really lengthy conversation with our chief AI scientist yesterday in the office. Um, And he has a slightly nuanced definition to the working definition of AI that we came together with on last week. Um, And basically he will argue that there are a lot of technologies today that use uh, foundational elements of AI, but aren't actually AI. So maybe data science, large data sets, um, things of that nature, but they're not inferring and making decisions. Those software solutions may be rules-based, for example, they may feel magical, they may feel surprising in the results that they generate, but they aren't AI. I'm gonna continue to take a little bit broader definition of AI for our discussion purposes, because I still think there's a lot happening in smart systems, even if they're not AI, that impact our lives that I think are interesting and important to know about. Um, And as I said last week, um, I had a lot of fun putting this talk together. The first thing I did was go to chat GPT and say, give me a 35 minute presentation on how AI is being used in the Knoxville community. And I got that and then I went to three other or four other uh, generative AI solutions to do the same thing. Um, I then asked them to do me a slide outline for those presentations and then looked at all of that, decided what I liked about it, didn't like about it, uh, and created the presentations I couldn't uh, deliver today and, and in two weeks and a week. Um, so had a lot of fun using the tools and technologies that I'm gonna describe to you today um, and in the next two weeks, uh, actually putting these presentations together. I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into this. Um, so here's an example. Uh, this was for last week's presentation. This was the first uh, version of a, a ChatGPT, I think 3.5 uh, version of it to ask me to generate this presentation. Um, and every one of these examples that I started with uh, said, good morning, everyone. And I knew that we were starting our talks at noon, so I knew that wasn't gonna work. Um, but that's just an example. So the, I found these to be fascinating, right? They weren't 100% accurate. They weren't exactly what I wanted to talk about. So maybe my prompts, the text I entered to get this result could be better. Um, or more precise to get exactly what I wanted, but I got really good results out of this. And so I start thinking about ChatGPT and other things as a research assistant uh, for me. And as I mentioned, when you see this uh, image again, uh, we'll open the floor up for questions and we can talk about what we discussed today. We can also talk about any other aspect of AI that's on your minds. And feel free to interrupt as we go if you like. Um, so our first topic for today is what's going on in the region uh, with AI. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the work that Lirio is doing uh, in a couple of minutes because I find it absolutely fascinating. Not just because I'm here, I'm, I'm paid to talk about it, uh, because I think it's really, really compelling work. But there are other organizations and institutions doing really good work in the AI space. Some of these will not surprise you. Um, The uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville actually leads a new initiative called the AI Tennessee Initiative uh, that Dr. Lynn Parker forms. She is an associate vice chancellor and the de facto head of AI for the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. um, And she is leading this initiative. That's her on the right, I believe. Um, And she actually gave a talk, a webinar last week with a local technology company that was pretty great. Um, So, So, they are, as you see, it even says it on this bottom of the screen. This initiative is just getting started. But they've been funded with a million dollars in grant money to begin to look at how the state of Tennessee and our institutions, companies, and individuals can really get involved with AI in whatever form that might take, right? So, it could be research and development, it could be ethics in AI, it could be um all sorts of different topics related to ai they're they they do not know what those boundaries and those it was just let's get started this is an important topic and this state needs to know about it so lynn uh, is the former uh associate deputy chief technology officer for the united states of america uh, she used to work in the white house and f- was a founding director of the national ai institute um, i think that's what this referred to, Um, forgive me if I get that wrong, Um, but she's got a lot of credibility. Uh, She's an important member of our Knoxville community and our state community, as well as national. So that's an exciting thing that's happening there. By the way, UT is really strong in computer science. They're really strong in math. Uh, They're really strong in engineering, including software engineering, and all of these are important disciplines uh, that feed into artificial intelligence. So the, I expect that the University of Tennessee-Knoxville, uh, and the entire system for that matter, will play a really big role in the development of AI in the coming years and decades. By the way, it may not seem like years and decades, right, because of how fast things have happened for the, in the last 12 months or so. Um, it's really fascinating uh, what's going on. Um, Oak Ridge National Lab has long been involved in aspects of artificial intelligence. Lirio's chief AI scientist, Chris Simons, who I mentioned earlier, um, is formerly with the lab. He basically headed up uh, their machine learning practice there for years, worked on lots of projects in uh, cybersecurity, some things for the Department of Defense. Um, we're lucky that Chris decided to leave the lab and come join us at Lirio because he's really, really a leader in the field uh, of true AI. Um, But Oak Ridge continues to invest, ORNL continues to invest in AI in big, interesting ways. Chris told me yesterday, in fact, that one of the more interesting um, uh, work, some of the more interesting work that's going on at ORNL today in the AI space is related to material sciences. Where some of the materials science engineers are now focused on machine learning as a way to improve their understanding of the, the focus of their scientific work, right? So in one example, a materials science engineer um, is actually using um, machine learning to assess the trillions of possible chemical combinations that can generate lithium, which is a critical component of electric vehicles and other types of uh, renewable energy sources. Um, and um, it is using, I, I, I use the word trillions. He said the, the number to the nth power, and I don't remember it. Um, it's a really big number. Um, And it would be impossible for human scientists to sort of evaluate all of those options and try to understand the trade-offs of the chemical compositions uh, that are inherent in in creating lithium. Um, And so they are using machine learning to process those so many different options and then get to a recommendation to experiment on. So the the, the AI is effectively telling a scientist, why don't you try these three or four combinations and let me know what you find out? Uh, and then they feed more data back into it based on their learnings of that. Um, and they can hopefully get to uh, more efficient, productive production of, of lithium uh, for electric vehicles than they otherwise would be able to. So much faster um, to market for that type of solution. So fascinating stuff. Uh, and as you, if you guys know, so they're doing, I found this to be uh, the SNS, um, the Spallation, neutron source, I think it's called. Again, I'm not a scientist, um, but basically they shoot a beam of particles at a really high rate of speed to understanding what's happening at a subatomic level. That's how I would translate that into everyday uh, language. They are now using the same kind of image and pattern recognition at the subatomic level that things like Google Images use for pictures of cats, which we'll talk about, it. we talked about it last week, I'll talk about it again today. Um, to understand what's happening at the subatomic level. Um, Really fascinating stuff. And again, it gets way over my head really quickly, Uh, but they're doing some cool stuff at ORNL. Recently, um, we had the first accelerator for the Techstars Industries of the Future. So Techstars, based out in Colorado, is probably one of the two world-leading business accelerators that exist today. Uh, the other being Y Combinator. Uh, And so TVA, UT, and ORNL all funded a three-year commitment to Techstars in Knoxville and decided to focus on industries of the future. Um, AI was one of those industries of the future. Uh, They're just right over here up Gay Street, uh, a couple blocks in the old region's bank space, um, across from uh, the Embassy Suites Hotel now, Um, and Uh, I think of their 10 or so companies from the first accelerator last year, I'd say eight of them had an AI component to the work that they were doing. And some of the, I think maybe two of those companies has actually ended up opening offices in the Knoxville area. One in particular I know is doing R&D. So that's pretty fascinating. They have another accelerator going on right now I won't know really what those companies are doing until they have their demo day in June. Uh, So maybe that'll be a topic for another uh, Lunch and Learn sometime in the future. Uh, But again, uh, this commitment by these three big institutions in our area uh, of millions of dollars over three years is attracting world leading uh, scientific company development, um, many of which are working in AI. So I find that to be a, a terrific development and I'm really hopeful that more of those companies will decide to make uh, Knoxville and the Knoxville region their home. And then um, it might surprise you that our city and county are both sort of dabbling. uh, Our city and county governments are both starting to dabble in AI a little bit. Um, On the county side, um, most of the work thus far, a source tells me, I'm not gonna quote that source, I'm gonna quote a source in two weeks, Uh, But this source tells me that most of the work that Knox County is doing in AI to date has been around workflow automation. And that has been one of the biggest use cases for AI um, across industry uh, until this generative AI push occurred um, in the last 12 months. Um, So Knox County is actually using it to do a lot of workflow automation, improve efficiency and accuracy of the services they deliver. Um, And then we'll talk in the future about what when we do the future casting about what AI might hold for uh, municipalities, right? So that should be really interesting discussion as well. Um, And then Knoxville uh, during the pandemic actually introduced a new AI chatbot. I don't wanna to be too disparaging, but I will tell you that I think this technology is more the AI-like stuff that our chief scientist mentioned as opposed to being true AI. Um, it is, it, the AI component that it does have is I can enter free form text and it attempts to interpret what that text means. There is a form of AI doing something there, but then it gave me a specific set of options to choose from as opposed to delivering a more customized response for like a large language model might. Right? But it's good to see that that companies and institutions and even our governments locally are starting to take advantage of these new sophisticated and advanced technologies to better serve their constituents. Right, So that's a lot of fun and should be something to watch uh, over time. Um, so now I get to talk a little bit about uh, Lirio, and this is what I do in my everyday job, so hopefully I don't fumble this. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, what Lyrio does is we work with healthcare companies across the country today, uh, soon to be international. We have one uh, that we're finalizing um, terms with uh, that's in Canada. Um, and uh, the work that we do is is really consumer engagement in healthcare, right? And that's, that's really one of two things. We either want people to engage with health providers, whether that's their payer or a wellness app or Uh, a a physician or a hospital system, right? Uh, So that they can get clinically recommended advice on how to live a healthier life, right? So that could be get your colonoscopy, because if you do that, then the chances that you're gonna have uh, cancer are reduced dramatically, right? It could be, get a mammogram as I mentioned earlier in the work that we're doing with Covenant and other health systems around the country, Um, but it could also be things like sign up for your patient portal, right? Or your member portal, right? Some basic things, but people just don't do. Um, You know, 80% of healthcare happens outside of the care system that we have in place in the United States. It's the decisions you make every day. So more and more of the work that Lirio is doing is around motivating people to take their medication according to the prescription uh, details, to follow pre-acute care and post-acute care Uh, care plans uh, so that people actually do the things they're supposed to do in order to accurately prepare. It could be sign up and show up for your appointment. No show rates are a massive problem for the healthcare industry because they they end up getting a lot of people to schedule things and then 50% of people don't show up, um, which is why they overschedule. And so maybe in your experience, you're sitting in the waiting room for two hours, um, but it's a massive problem. So if they could get better and better and better about getting a person to sign up and then show up for when they signed up, uh, they can manage that yield or that capacity much more effectively over time. Um, so that's the, that's the business that we're in. And that really manifests itself in uh, four ways. So the first is we, we literally have a team of behavioral scientists. These are you know, several PhDs in different uh, aspects of behavioral science and they start and do research. So they conduct research of the academic literature and understand what are the known barriers people have to adopting certain health behaviors, right? So whether that's mammograms or taking your medication, whatever it is, Um, then they conduct primary research to supplement any gaps in the knowledge base from the academic literature, right? To identify other barriers that people have. And then they create content to overcome those barriers using behavioral science toolkit, the COMB methodology, which is capability, opportunity, and motivation to actually adopt a behavior, right? That's a scientific methodology. Um, so they create all of this contact, uh, number two here, uh, to address those barriers. Um, and one of the cool innovative things that Lirio has done is it breaks these messages down into component parts. So let's take an email, for example, An email has a subject line, it has some preview text, it has a headline, a body copy, an image, a call to action, right? Has all of those elements. Well, what if we broke those apart and encoded them with what we know about barriers and behavioral science solutions so that an artificial intelligence agent or a series of agents could reassemble those into coherent human readable messages and deliver them to people, right? So instead of a marketer, which I am, writing eight different messages that I might use to try to personalize the experience with somebody and get them to do a thing? What if we could deliver hundreds or maybe thousands of different messages and that AI could then pick from among those messages to deliver the one to each person in this room that is most likely to get them to adopt the behavior we're trying to get them to adopt? And that's what we mean by hyper-personalization is that we do that. So. Um, So what's unique about that is we're using a form of AI called reinforcement learning that learns from a series of reward signals, positive and negative. Did a person open an email? And by the way, what was the subject line in that email? What behavioral science principle was that subject line designed uh, using? And what barrier was that subject line attempting to overcome, right? So that I can then understand that at at a, a broad level. Um, and get smarter and better about which content I deliver in the future. And that's really what's super unique about the work that we're doing and the reason that we see four to eight times uh, better results than control groups that we compare our our actions to. So we are based here. We were founded in Knoxville. Um, We have grown here and across the country. Our chief behavioral officer is up in Boston. Um, One of our AI scientists is in Seattle, Washington, but we have a core group of AI scientists right here in Knoxville um, that that lead that work for our teams. Um, And it's really excited to have that kind of talent locally because they'll often gather in the Knoxville office and in the Cedar Bluff area, and I'll just saunter into the room where they're meeting and sit in the corner and soak it all in because it's pretty fascinating work that they do. So thank you for allowing me to give you a little infomercial on the work that is doing, but it's really impactful uh, AI work um, and very narrowly focused on helping motivate people to overcome barriers to health action. I'm excited, I've long been a mentor and supporter of the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. I'm currently working with a group of growth stage companies in a program that, that I helped create called Inflection Point. But one of the longer standing programs that KEC offers is called the works. And as you can see here, this is designed to work with early stage technology and software companies and get them to that next level of growth. And we typically talk about with these companies, by the end of this 10 or 12 week program, we want them to be investable, right? We want to help them the, the very first program that KEC runs is called co-starters. It's for people with an idea, they think maybe they wanna start a business, not entirely sure, what, what does this all entail? The next one is what's the big idea? So somebody's decided I've got this great idea that we teach them how to talk about that idea as a business, like how to pitch it. So it's actually a pitch competition. And then the next stage of growth is the works uh, where we we try to get them to be ready to be investable. So how do they prove product market fit? How do they show return on that potential investment down the road, those types of things. And why I bring it up today is because this summer's version of the works, the 2023 version of the works is gonna be focused exclusively on startups using some form of artificial intelligence in their business. So one example is a company uh, that is working with a ton of B-roll video footage. Um, so that's that's the footage that gets created in a video shoot uh, that it is used for sort of atmospheric, so it's it's behind a narration or behind some on-screen graphics or something like that. Art could explain this better than I can, um, but uh, but we, so you shoot a three, uh, three a two-minute commercial, for example, that's a long commercial, a sixty-second spot, right? You shoot for a day or two or three, right? And so there's tons of footage, and a lot of that gets turned into what's called B-roll footage. Well, this company has created a, an AI-based solution to automatically tag and categorize all of that b-roll content so the ai is actually looking at the video and understanding that's a red pickup truck that's a rural setting um, that is a family uh, in that setting that's a picnic right so i just made that scene up Uh, but it will pick those things out of motion video without any intervention and so now you've got all these three days worth of, of video that you could use for some future project, and you can search it and discover it based on those automated uh, AI-based keywords and categories. Right? Really fascinating stuff. Early stage. Um, another one is using machine learning to help coach uh, non-native English speakers in improving their English speaking capability. Again, fascinating. It's listening as they speak. Um, it's it's hearing the conversation and then delivering tips for how to improve their English speaking language based on what it's actually observing. And that's two machine learning engineers at UT, again, doing fascinating work. Um, so it's gonna be an exciting summer uh, for these five or six companies. Um, and I'm thrilled to be involved uh, with those guys. Um, so that was a survey of of AI in Knoxville, there's been a couple of other companies. Uh, most notably, I think Local Motors was doing some work in autonomous vehicles, so self driving vehicles. Uh, they launched something called Ollie, which was a, they were known for 3D, 3D printing car parts. They 3D printed Ollie and then used uh, uh, autonomous driving to try to make it a driverless taxi system, basically, in downtown Knoxville. Unfortunately, they ran out of funding, we're not able to acquire more. That's a big, complex problem to solve. Um, And so in 2022, I think uh, they shut down. Um, And then there was another company was not Knoxville based, but they were basically trying to do the same thing with a water taxi and Knoxville was supposed to be their first location to get from South Knoxville to to downtown Um, and that did not last long either. I don't know the full story behind that one as well as local motors. So there have been some other companies. Does anybody here have another example that you're aware of that I'm not aware of?
1: Possibly, I know um, Discovery is using, and I don't know it's somewhere on the spectrum of AI. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where. It is. It's definitely machine learning. They're using machine learning for a lot of. There's a lot of networks out there that, if you looked at Discovery's litany of networks, there's a lot of them that you're like, I don't know what that is. You know, what I mean? Just, yep. you know and they're very niche networks that are that air in space that they have contracted for that they have to fill, but aren't really worth putting, taking their dwindling human capital and putting it in to operate those networks. So they're using machine learning to um, fill out the schedule, um, put in like insert commercials, all that kind of stuff so that they're not having to pay a bank of humans to work on a network that's generating only 20 or $30 million, which seems like a lot of money, but when you figure that the big networks in there are generating billions of dollars, something that's only generating 20 or 30 million dollars, well, it's profitable, it's not really worth putting a bunch of human capital into Yep. you know what I mean? Um, especially when, unfortunately for investment purposes, they are trying to slough off as much as human, human capital as they can. And that that's, so that's, they're using machine learning as a means of trying to, you um, trying to operate those networks without a lot of input, not, you know, not a lot of resources in, but still gaining the resources from them.
0: Yeah, it's a great example. Thank you, Art. Um, so that goes back to what I was talking about with Knox County and workforce automation, right? So there's a lot of AI machine learning in particular being used um, to automate processes to make organizations become far more efficient Um, and require less human capital because human capital is among the most expensive capital uh, for many, many types of businesses. Not for all, but for many. Um, Great example, any others? Awesome. All right, so let's talk about um, AI that's already impacting us here in Knox County, right? And I I keep focusing on Knox County uh, because uh, we are doing this on behalf of the Knox County Public Library, uh, just in case you were wondering. All right, so I I brought up this example uh, last week when we talked a little bit about the history and the typical use cases of AI. You may use Google image search often. You may not have known that this is a form of artificial intelligence. It is. Um, The way this transpired was um, uh, somebody at Google and probably other sources um, took a bunch of images and tagged those images, all right? some were labeled cats, some were labeled dogs, some were labeled mouse some, you know, or mice, some were labeled other things, right? It could be buildings, it could be any host of subjects you want, right? But they were tagged by human beings. And that was fed to this AI, which then looked all across all the cats and said, okay, here are the characteristics of cats. This is how I, as an AI agent, am going to look at an image and decide if it's a cat or not. So the human only had to do that for a few hundred, a few thousand pictures of cats, but the AI can do that for many millions of pictures of cats, right? Because it can understand whiskers and eyes and noses and how they're different for like a a house cat versus a big cat of, of different types and versus other animals, right? And so when you use Google Images, Um, that is one of the key ways, especially photographs and illustrations, that it has categorized a lot of that. Now, it's not 100% AI because Google crawls the web, right? That's one of the things they do. And the web has a lot of metadata about it. So alt tags describe images. So I might have an alt tag on an image that says house cat. Well, Google can understand that too, and that doesn't require AI to sort of figure it out. It's not doing image pattern matching to do that. But there is a lot of AI involved in delivering what tend to be highly accurate image results for the kinds of things that most people look for. Now, I use it often to find logos. So if I'm doing presentations or doing a press release because we've launched a partner with with uh, Amazon, which we have for health equity purposes. Um, I need Amazon's logo, right? I need it on a transparent background. I need it to be their gold and black colors, um, and I probably want it in a PNG format, right? So I will use Google Images to do that, uh, and I get fantastic results. Um, It's super simple. It's a game changer in finding images that you might need for presentations or for, um, uh, for press releases or for any purpose. Could be a school project, what have you, right? But they are literally looking at recognizing the points of the ears, the whiskers, the paws, and how those are different and maybe subtly different if you squint for dogs, right? We all know the difference, but how does it know the difference? And it's because it's just trained it on this large corpus of images that were already tagged, and so now it knows, right? And it's, it tends to be highly, highly accurate. So that's an example of AI that many of us use in our everyday lives and have for a while, and we didn't necessarily know it was even AI, right? Um, This is another one, right? Um, I I actually scoffed at this idea. I saw a presentation about five or six years ago at a national AI conference uh, that the head of Alexa at Amazon delivered, and I was like, this is not AI, right? You got a bunch of rules there, and then you figure out, based on those rules, how to respond to my request. Well, because in the early days, you had to have, see if I can remember the name of it, uh, you, had, you had to teach Alexa skills. So that's not AI. If you're having to teach it something, um, then you're, that's not really AI, right? But it has evolved dramatically over the years um, and it now does things that are far more freeform and AI-based than rules-based that it started out doing with the skill sets uh, that you would create for it. Now, at home, I have a HomePod, um, and I'm not gonna say the, I'm gonna say, hey, dingus, instead of the actual words, um, so, so as not to trigger anybody's device. Um, but every morning, my wife and I listen to W-A-U-O-T. Um, and usually, the command or the prompt that I give it is, hey dingus, play WUOT 91.9 FM. And it almost always gets it right, but it doesn't always get it right. And sometimes it changes and I have to say, hey dingus, play NPR news in Knoxville or something to that effect, right? Because it got confused. It It had some sort of update and it no longer remembers that prompt um, or can interpret it for some reason, and it'll give me some other result. It'll place, I got a Jamaican radio station one time, um, I got WOT hd 2 one time when I really wanted HD1, um, I got different results, right? So it's not 100% accurate, but it is first converting my speech to binary text that it can understand, right? That a machine can understand, um, doing it very quickly, by the way, um, and then using that AI to interpret that command and deliver a result, right? Fascinating stuff and I use it every single day and I often accidentally activate it on my watch, um, which is kind of a pain in the butt. Um, maps, right? We all use maps say what? I mean, who remembers triptychs? I mean, or even... <laughs> even before triptychs, the foldable maps, like what were those? I mean, maps is such a fascinating, life-changing application that you can be just about anywhere in the world because of GPS. Even if you don't have a cellular connection, by the way, you can actually connect to GPS satellites and still get your map data. Um, so uh, keep that in mind. But its it, it's got a massive corpus of data of streets, of roads, of speed limits, of etc. but then it also gets traffic and weather and accident reporting and all sorts of other things. And again, in near real time, can deliver to you the the most accurate route based on whatever parameters you've set. Maybe you want a scenic route, maybe you want the fastest one, maybe you want one that doesn't use interstates or does use interstates. So you can set some parameters around what maps delivers you, but it is processing all of that data in real time and delivering the result that you're looking for. And again, it's world changing. I, I've, it's, I mean, I now connect it to the USB cable in my, phone, uh, in my car and it's on the screen right in the car. It's fascinating. All right, now let's skip ahead. Um, You'll remember the slide from last week for those of you who are here. Um, what has made this such a, a really topical um, subject has been the last 12 month advancements in what's called generative AI. And what generative AI means is that artificial intelligence that generates something. Right. So that's all that means. But you'll hear that you'll hear that subject in news reports. Um, and the two main areas that generative AI uh, is focused on right now and that have gotten all this attention are generative AI for images and generative AI for text. And by the way, there will likely be other generative AI solutions out there.
1: Google just released their uh, uh, (laughs) music generative AI last
0: night. Yeah, so there's, so Google's got music. There was the the Drake AI thing uh, experiment not too long ago that that faked everybody out, was actually AI generated Drake song. Um, There's there's all sorts of other things happening, but images and text are the two big ones that are sort of in the marketplace today. Last year uh, in the summer, um i think maybe spring um product called uh, uh mid journey was released um, and then uh, that was followed by OpenAI's ai's e d-a-l-l hyphen e um, and both of those are image generating um, generative ai we're going to use those today so if you haven't seen them yet get ready because we'll try to have some fun and actually demonstrate those you can see what they can do um, and i have not done Um, So I hope they work. Um, And then in the November, December timeframe, OpenAI released what we talked about last week, ChatGPT, uh, which generates text, um, which is based on large language models. So now next week, when we get into some of the legal issues, that's one of the topics we're gonna talk about. How How did these companies train their AI to generate images and text? Well, they had to have massive libraries of images and text. Well, where did they get that? Well, from a text perspective, there's lots of AI that's open and available to anybody on the web that they can go out and get, just like Google does it for search results, right? If, as long as they don't violate a copyright, like actually presenting you the exact same text that they had before, then they're within their legal rights, right? With images, it's a little bit different Um, in some ways because uh, mid-journey, I think, I don't know about DALI, one of them actually generates images occasionally with image watermarks on them. So that means they are getting the image data from protected images um, as opposed to that that's freely available on the open web. And so that's where the legal issues. So we'll dig into that more next week. But we're gonna actually use ChatGPT and uh, Dolly today um, to actually demonstrate uh, how those are working. I guess I should get to that because I want to leave time for q and A. I I did want to revisit this topic because it became more and more apparent uh, over the last week. But I think the way to think about um, these demonstrations that we're about to take a look at, um, uh, use them as an assistant. A research assistant, a writing assistant, a marketing assistant, a design assistant. I use it all the time as a marketing assistant. Um, not only creating this se- series of presentations, but I did a social post for Lirio yesterday that was all about Nurses Day, which was last Saturday, Nurses Week, which is this week, and Nurses Month, which is the month of May. Um, and I, I did one uh, post for all of those, and I said, generate me a post about Nurses Week it gave me three or four options, and then I edited those down to what I really wanted to say and what the Lirio brand was all about. So I used it as a research assistant, uh, and it was very effective. All right, so let's get to the demos. Who in here has have used ChatGPT? So a few hands, but not everybody. Let's see if I can do this effectively. It's behind All right, so this is ChatGPT. Um, I think I mentioned last week, I have the paid version, I think it's 20 bucks a month. It's worth it. If you're gonna use ChatGPT at all in your work or your life, pay for the upgrade. Um, it's significantly better. It's a little bit slower. So if you're in a huge hurry, you can always downgrade to the 3.5 model, but the four uh, model is significantly better at generating results than not only my mind, but everybody I've seen report on it or talk about it. Um, it's a pretty simple interface it looks a little bit like a chat bot at the bottom you see this box where you can send a message um, and on the uh, and then at the top in the in the middle of the screen we're going to get the answers for whatever we the question we ask um, what's really cool you can see over here on the left it is saving the results and it's actually generating a name for those results and you can see National Nurses Week 2023 on the left that I used yesterday to create my social post for. Um, And it's missed the mark on a few, it just says new chat. So there's there's chats behind those, it just hasn't named them yet. Um, So I created some prompts, but we'll take those from you guys as well if you want to. See if I can find my document. So this one is about, we're here in the East Tennessee History Center. So uh, this first one is asking ChatGPT to write a brief history of the city of Knoxville and limit it to one to two pages. So let's see what it comes back with. All right, it's, it's numbering the pages for me, all right? So it's now generating a written narrative, completely unique and original, based on that large language model that allows it to predict which word is likely to follow a previous word to make human readable text, right? Um, So the new settlement grew rapidly in in 1791, selected as the capital of the Southwest territory, right? Now I will tell you, I don't know enough off the top of my head about Knoxville's history. I know that's generally in the right neighborhood. And so uh, now if I'm using this as a research assistant, I'm gonna trust but verify, right? So I'm gonna go out and do my own verification of the data that this is generating for me. But it's fascinating, now if I use chat, GPT 3.5, this would happen a lot faster, but the text, the prose that it's generating would not be nearly as good, um, as well-written or as accurate uh, as this is. So it takes a little bit longer uh, if you use uh, version four. So you can see that it added a a title for it over on the left-hand side. Um, I can edit that title. I can delete that whole chat history, but now I have literally a two page history uh, of Knoxville and it's now time for me to go find out if this was correct. So now I wanna say, um, let's instead condense this down uh, to a much smaller, more manageable bit of content. And so I've literally, it knows the context of the prior conversation that I had with it, the prior question I asked and the answers that it gave me it remembers that context because all I said was condense this for me, right? So now it's taking two pages of text and it's gonna put it, I guarantee you, into three paragraphs because anytime I've given it a range, it's always taking the upper end of the range. Um, that's a bit of an oddity that I've noticed. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on this one. You can see these paragraphs are a little bit longer than they were in the prior version. That's totally random. There's no th- th- There's no human decision-making going on into that or parameters that have been set. It's just predicting which word should follow another word. I am proven wrong. It only took, it only took two paragraphs to do that. And now finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that and I wanna turn that into a slide. So instead of two to three paragraphs, excuse me, I'm changing apps. This, having this behind me is really throwing me off. Instead now, I'm gonna say, give me some bullet points um, and take that even further down and give me just three to five bullet points um, on this same topic. It actually bullets them. Um, I did a demonstration uh, earlier uh, this morning and it numbered them um, and as, as opposed to bulleting them. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's still, a, it's, it's still a list. It's just a numbered list instead of an unordered list, um, but it was pretty fascinating. I find this to be absolutely fascinating. If you do any writing in your work, you've got your new research assistant right here. It's fascinating work. Um, that's why it's gotten, so it's one of the most uh, fast, uh, fastest adopted uh, technology products in history. All right, let's do one set of images. Uh, who wants to give me a prompt for an image uh, for this purpose and have it generate? Somebody give me a prompt.
1: I wanna see you generate one of your bullet points.
0: Oh, you wanna illustrate the bullet points? Ooh, let's see. Maybe the Sun Sphere? Okay. Let's just, uh, how about illustrate the Sun Sphere in Knoxville, ten in Smoky the dog Cubist style. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's not it. It's generating it. It's going to give us four options. So Dolly t- currently, and I'm I'm also paying for Dolly, unfortunately, which is twenty dollars for a set of credits. So it it has created uh, these four images for me to choose from. I could actually go through a series of steps to refine one of the pick and refine if I wanted to. Um, so if I'm a if I'm a magazine editor or website editor or um, I'm really wanting to illustrate that that history that we just created. I could ask for it in uh, an image of Knoxville, Tennessee in sepia tone uh, foretelling the, the AI Renaissance, right? And who knows what we might get if we did that, uh, but that could be a great way to sort of follow that up. But you can see these are all pretty close to being, looking like they might be the sun sphere um, in some way, um, Cuba style. Um, Pretty fascinating, uh, one of the more classic ones uh, I saw uh, was an image of Donald Trump sitting at a desk with a diet Coke or something looking sad or something like that, and it was it was so dead on it looked like it was an illustration off the cover of the New Yorker. I mean, it was amazing, so again, next week. <laughs> and in two weeks, we're gonna get into issues in the future and we can dig into those things like, what is the impact on illustrators and writers, right? Just from these two examples, um, so we'll have lots to cover. So with that, questions, and I've got one already. Well, in regard
1: to, let's say you do a magazine article and you illustrate it with the AI technology.
0: Is that, are those uh, images copyrighted now with your article? How does the copyright work or is there one? So. I don't know the answer to that yet. I actually have a meeting tomorrow with a lawyer uh, to prepare for the legal issues for next next week. week, I can tell you next week. That is actually one of the key questions I have.
1: I have a limited understanding of, of the answer to that question. And that is there, it depends on what you're using because some models are still drawing from other from what they've learned across scanning, you know, they, they all essentially are web crawlers, like old school web crawlers. Yep. They use that technology to gain their imagery um, or their id, their base imagery. And some of those may be copyrighted. And, and so some of the text, I, I believe, Dali generates its own images, but some use other images to generate. And you have to be careful because it's in the fine print of the agreement you sign when you use it. Um, some will, will tell you you can use these as your own copyrighted images. Once you generate it, it's yours. And then others will tell you that um, these are non-copyrightable images. And so that's where you have to be careful, but but it is in reading the fine print of what of, of the technology. A lot of times there's if you're paying for it, a lot of, that's a good indication that you're paying for the ability to generate an image that is yours. Um, if the cheaper ones, the ones that are, you know, they're giving it to you for free, it's nothing, and, and they're not making you jump through any sort of, any hoops, a lot of times that is, you, that's, that's like the, the initial indicator that this is something that you, if you're trying to generate this as your own image, you better be careful. And if you're using it to make money, be real careful because somebody else might come behind you and say, you know, 30% of this is my image, and so therefore you owe me 30% of the money that you generated from it.
0: Yeah. Not any different than that Ed Sheeran copyright case with the um, with the riff of course right so very similar to that right. Yeah.
1: Is there any way for somebody that's reading or looking at this to tell it was generated by AI?
0: Um, that's one of the big sort of ethical and problematic challenges we're going to talk about next week. Okay. There. There. No. 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 I'll, I'll I'll attempt to answer it in brief here. Um, With text, it is much easier to use a a text analyzer to discern with greater accuracy whether that text was generated by AI or not than it is to use any system to discern whether an image was created with AI or not. Now that may change. This is, all this stuff is evolving so quickly. But right now, text is far easier to identify if it has or has not been generated by AI and images are less so.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the ethical things that I've heard discussed is that AI, because AI learns from things, you know, from from input, so you have you run the problem. with This is they were discussing regulation. You run the problem with any kind of like the second you write down that regulation, you give the formula to get around it. And AI, because it is it's it's so quick at learning from input, you could essentially input like you could you could essentially build a your into your AI even existing AI you could build into it learn learn this. This is the thing that you don't do anytime. These very specific parameters, and it'll work itself right around that. And and so that that's the that's the problem that the, it was a problem that they were discussing on, you know, like if we have to come up with rules around what AI can and can't do, and this is the problem you, you have that is the second you set that rule, then you give the formula
0: for the loophole. And it figures the workaround. It it figures out the workaround, that's right. And depending on the type of AI, it can absolutely do that. So so that's not true, for example, in the work that Lirio is doing and using reinforcement learning to hyper-personalize digital messaging because the use case is so narrowly constrained um, that it's just trying to pick the message that's gonna most effectively get a person to do a thing, um, which, writ large could be problematic if you really got into it and thought about it. Um, But it's not the same thing that you're talking about that has this broader sort of parameters to operate within. Yes. Just a quick one about your verification process. Yes. So when you showed the bullets or the paragraphs about Knoxville's history, what source would you verify it against? Well, I'd start with this East Tennessee History Center. Um, No, I would would do like any um, responsible researcher might do, and I would just look for, whatever subject I'm researching, I would find what I consider to be the most reputable source for that type of information, and I would try to verify that. Because what I'm hearing is citations are a big issue with chat GPT. That's and correct. AI. So how is that, again, talk for next week in
1: terms of um, how, how are we going to find a way around getting the right citations?
0: Yeah, so what, what she's referring to for the- weren't here last week or haven't heard of this, the large language models like ChatGPT have a habit of hallucinating. Um, And the most common form of hallucination for these large language models is to fabricate a citation of a publication and an article in that publication, neither of which may have ever existed. so it will sound authoritative. And I, scientists today don't yet fully understand why that's happening. They know it's happening and they're working to solve it, um, but they don't yet know why that's happening. That happened uh, for Lirio. It, we used it for something and, and it said that, that our scientist was published in this journal with this article on this date, the journal doesn't exist, therefore the article couldn't have existed in the, the, uh, on that date, right? Um, so it's actually happened in our own experimentation uh, with a, a named Lyrio scientist. So it had the, the name of the person on our staff, I can't remember which one it was, uh, Susanna Blasik maybe, um, but it's, it's pretty fascinating. So there's a lot to uncover there. Um, we will talk about it a little bit more next week and the week after. Um, it's a known problem and they are working hard to address it.
1: My question is right on Uh, would you end up spending as much time researching and validating to know that it's accurate as you would to just write your own piece?
0: So maybe if you're, if you're working on uh, like a history project, for example, like the examples we use today, which might not have been the best, but in, in the work that I do in particular for marketing um, it's a significant time saver. Like, One of the hardest, so I'm I'm juggling a lot of plates, right? Uh, Or spinning a lot of plates, juggling a lot of balls, whatever the metaphor is, Um, get them all mixed up. Um, And so one of the hardest things to do for me today is to create from a blank slate. So if I need to create a blog post or a social post, I got a general idea of what I wanna talk about, but if I've got a blank piece of paper in front of me, like I might get up and go for a walk or get a cup of coffee or find anything to do except start writing. Um, and so instead, I go to ChatGPT, give it a prompt, get something back, and boom, now I'm on, the ro- I'm on the road. I'm gonna write my own content. I mean, there are people out there who are not going to do that. They're going to copy and paste. I mean, there's a, there's a function in ChatGPT for copy. You click the button to copy what it generated for you. Um, there's a publication in technology, and I can't remember the name, um, that actually started, um, sorry about that, um, that actually started um, using um, auto-generated stories without letting their audience know about it, um, and they got in some hot water with that audience. Um, and uh, Yeah, so it was a problem there. You had a question? Yes, uh,
1: so on the paper, if you had said um, write a two page paper on the history of Knoxville and site sources, are you saying that it could make up sources and actually list a false
0: source? I'm saying it could. I don't know that it has. I know that it has created citations out of thin air, even if not asked for them. I don't know about the specific use case that you've, I'll, I'll try to find out. And I'll try there to do it. a way that like university professors will be able to click on text to see if it was copy and pasted from
1: an AI generated
0: So my understanding today is that uh, AI detection software for text is about 70% accurate. So about 70% of the time, AI detection software can identify correctly whether text was generated from AI or not. Um, That's my understanding of the current state.
1: Theoretically though,
0: Taking straight out of AI isn't any different from any other errors, plagiarism and copying straight out of the encyclopedia. You know, like in my day when you were doing the term paper, you had to figure out how to rewrite the encyclopedia article so it was a plagiarism. So it doesn't sound that different from
1: any other errors.
0: Well, good on you for telling on yourself for that. Um, <laughs> I did rewrite it. No, so I, I think you're right. I think, so, and again, we'll get into this in a lot more detail next week, but I think the part of that challenge becomes the frictionless nature of using uh, something like ChatGPT to generate an original work rather than having to go through the mental gymnastics to figure out how to what does this actually mean and how do I rewrite it so that it's original, right? There's something to that. There's something valuable about the mental... Exercise that you had to go through to understand what it was and rewrite it in a coherent fashion, as opposed to saying, give me this, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a big difference in those two things. So I, I get your point, um, but I think the frictionless nature of it and the scale at which it can happen in like large, I, I limited these two pages for time constraint purposes. I could have said, Given me a, give me a 12 chapter book about the history of Knoxville, right? And it will attempt to do that. Now, when I've done long form chat GPT in the past, it kind of pauses and I look and I'm like, what's going on here? And I say, continue. I literally type the word continue and it picks back right up where it stopped because it knows that context.
1: I, I think a lot, a lot of times like, I think of AI as, um, from a creative standpoint, as, a, um, as you're the creative director. So because AI will take prompts like, it like you showed like you it remembers it and so it you know, but it will also you can say no that wasn't that wasn't it try try doing it a little more this way or try you know you can put in voices you can say you know uh, type this in the style of James A. G or Cormac McCarthy or you know something something along those lines and it, it'll do that as well um, it and so you can you can be essentially the creative director of what. You're, Asking AI to do, and in a lot of ways, I think that's not really that different than than somebody who's acting as the creative director or the head researcher or something like that. Because you're not really doing all the nuts and bolts work, even if you're using a human to do it. You're you're checking what that human assistant or you know or sub creative whatever is doing. You know, you're you're saying, and you have to. you have to develop your level of trust of that assistant or of that um of of that sub creative whatever you know who's you you have to you have to trust you have to develop your level of trust with them and some you know you know okay i have to i really have to check what this person does yeah and uh, and other times you're like i don't know sometimes it's just a feeling you like you start reading that i'm like i don't know if that's really hitting the mark let me do a little background research and then i'll get back to you and talk to you about what you know here's what you did wrong and you know please correct that that's right and you can do the exact same thing with your prompt and add. i think the the slippery slope is when we get so used to these technologies being out there that we stop we we, we stop worrying about it not really like not really necessarily stop questioning but stop Stop worrying about those questions. Right. You know, it becomes so normal that we don't worry about it, and that's where you get you run into the problem of do you know is it is it giving us you know essentially creating a an entire false reality around a subject that we're um, that you know it, it's leaving the game on.
0: That's right. So we'll we'll end there, and I'll I'll just I'll follow that up with this. You know. Um, Scott Galloway will tell you that every new technology, every rapid advancement in technology that comes along, yes, may short-term eliminate jobs, Mm -hmm. uh, but long-term generally (laughs) creates jobs. Um, And Lynn Parker will tell you that already there are, and you can find these on your own, I'm sure on Indeed or whatever, uh, that there are jobs ranging from $200,000 a year to $350,000 a year for prompt engineer. In other words, engineering the text that I enter into ChatGPT or Dolly to get the desired result, right? Prompt engineers. That's a job, It's a real thing. We're gonna talk about loss of jobs and all sorts of other issues with AI next week. Thank you for coming, hope to see you again. Thank you for listening to and sharing this podcast from Knox County Public Library in Knoxville,
1: Tennessee. Music by Chad Crouch. Explore life-changing resources on our website, knoxcountylibrary.org. Find our podcasts under the programs menu, including over 100 book and author talks. knoxcountylibrary.org Your essential connection for lifelong learning and information.